When I was single, I lived at my ease. Now I am married and a husband to please. Three small children to maintain. I wish in my heart I was single again. All young men, when they first fall in love, it's all my little honey and my little turtle dove. But when you get married, it is no such a thing. Get up and get the breakfast, you cross ugly thing. All young men, when they stood about the town, one would think was worth a thousand pounds. Look into their pockets, not a penny will you find. Oh, how fickle is a young man's mind. Hi, welcome to Vermont Untapped, a podcast from the Vermont Folklife Center that explores the state through the voices of its own residents. I'm Mary Wesley. You were just listening to the singing of May Nichols of Guilford, Vermont. May was recorded on October 5, 1961, by Margaret MacArthur, who donated her field recordings to the Folklife Center archive in 2003. The song, called Single Girl, holds some commentary on women's social roles, and it leads us to our theme for this episode. March is Women's History Month, so today I'm excited to introduce you to three Vermont women whose stories hold a significant place in our archives. When it came to prescribed gender roles, Nellie Staves, Daisy Turner, and Gert Lepine were never afraid to color outside the lines, nor did any of them find that the way they led their lives was necessarily remarkable. Each in her own way broke some significant barriers. But when asked about it, they'll mostly say that they were just doing what they loved and what they were good at, as a matter of course. Each of these extraordinary women were recorded by Vermont Folklife Center founder Jane Beck. You'll hear her voice in some of the clips. First, we'll hear from Nellie, who was born in West Danville, Vermont, in 1917. When she was a child, a fire destroyed her parents' entire farm. The family relocated to her grandparents' camp nearby on Walden Mountain. They rebuilt their home and their lives. At an early age, Nellie had learned not only to love the woods, but to live off them. Your, your family got a good living right off that mountain. Right off the mountain. But we we really uh, we really worked. We us kids all had to work every day, and uh, we couldn't go play until we got our chores done. But we didn't think anything about it. We didn't know any different, you know. <laughs> My dad always taught us whatever he taught us to trap. He taught us to hunt. My mother taught us to fish. Uh, but uh, Dad would teach us about a gun and mostly safety and how to carry a gun and never point it toward anything you didn't want to shoot. And uh, and he'd teach each one of us separate. And uh, we'd target practice and target practice. And we got so... I'm telling you, we could shoot a penny off a... I, we'd put up pennies on stumps, and we could shoot those pennies off. <laughs> but uh, we we did. And then when I came over here and I joined the Rod and Gun Club over here, they used to call me Little Annie Oakley because I could outshoot any of them. <laughs> but anyway, so... Uh, I hunted more with my brothers, uh, with Ned, an awful lot, with my brother Ned, because he was two years older than I. And we would, we, we, 
not only hunt in the daytime, but at night we'd go out and hunt uh, hedgehogs and uh, uh, coons and things. Yeah, uh, but we had a lot of fun hunting, and I loved to hunt. I haven't. I don't do much now because I don't have the time with all the other things I do. But I would if I still had the time. I'd still be hunting. Yeah. As an adult, Nellie married Bernard Badger, foreman for the U.S. Bob and Shuttle Company's logging operations. Nellie worked for years as a cook in the company's logging camps in both Lowell and Victory, Vermont. Later, the couple moved with the company to Long Lake, New York. That's where Nellie became too busy to hunt. She was deeply involved in fish and wildlife management as a trapping and hunting safety instructor. She became the first and only woman president of various organizations, the Adirondacks Conservation Council, Tupper Lake Rod and Gun Club, and Franklin County Federation of Fish and Game. Her work did not go unnoticed. And you know what I got the award for this year? Well, you'll be surprised. The president of the New York State Conservation Council put my name in, unbeknown to me, to get the uh, uh, to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, New York State Conservation Council's Hall of Fame. And I didn't know anything about it till I got the notice that I was being inducted. You know, and so I said to him, "Well, why me?" Because I belonged. I got the New York State Conservation Council for 20 or something years, you know. And they know that I have the pheasant program. They know that I do this. They know that I hunt fish and trap and all that and teach. But you know what he said? He said, I said, why did you pick me, Howie? He said, for all you've done, Nellie for New York State, for all that you've done over here, teaching and everything, and the pheasant program, and the pond liming. See, I limed, pine, I limed seven ponds in Franklin County here against acid rain, and for 20 years, those ponds have had fish. We've only had to relime one. And I said, if I can do it, why can't the state do it? But anyway... So he said, it's for all that you've done, Nellie, but that isn't the big thing why I wanted you to get it. He said, it's because you broke into the man's world and opened the way for women. I said, I didn't break into no man's world. I was in there (laughs) with my brothers. But that's just what he said. And they gave me that award in April. Nellie had mixed feelings about awards like this. Awards recognizing something that was for her a way of life. Something inseparable from who she was. I just love being out in the woods. I love every minute I'm in the woods. I can sit there all day. Just listen to the birds and listen to leaves and listen to see whatever I see, the chipmunks, and watch them. And I just love the woods. And 
I don't think anyone loves the woods any more than my family because that's all we ever knew. It's all we ever did. People think it's funny because I love the woods and I love to hunt and fish and trap and all of that. But I don't think it's funny. It was my life. And when they give me awards, I said, I don't want no more awards. And I don't. I've got a whole trunk full of awards. But I don't want awards for my life. That's my life. I mean, it isn't something that, that I went to school for or college for or anything. It's just my life. The way I was brought up. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't have my life any other way, I'll tell you. I wouldn't give up what I, what we went through. And even though we had hard times, it was a good life. Nellie passed in 2009. Daisy Turner was born on June 21, 1883, on Turner Hill in Grafton, Vermont. She lived for more than a century. She was one of 13 children of Sally and Alec Turner, who had been formerly enslaved in Virginia. In 1983, Jane Beck, founder of the Vermont Folklife Center, first met Daisy. Jane was amazed by the scope of her family story, beginning in Africa, spanning two generations of enslavement, escape, the Civil War, movement north to Maine and Boston, and eventually reaching a hill farm in Vermont. Jane visited Daisy many times over the next four years and created 60 hours of recordings with her. Daisy died in 1988 at age 104. Jane produced a Peabody Award-winning audio documentary about Daisy's life, a video documentary, and recently published the book Daisy Turner's Kin. There's so much to learn from Daisy. This will surely not be the last time you hear from her on Vermont Untapped. But we couldn't make an episode about Vermont women without including her. To show you a little bit of Daisy's spirit and character, here she is telling the story of a trip she took to Boston Market. In the late 1800s, her father began shipping poultry there, prize stock, according to Daisy. But one day, a check arrived from Boston that was short by several hundred dollars, with a note. A note saying, we're awful sorry, Alec. We weren't able to give you as much as we ought to, or as much as usual, or as much as you ought to deserve on this allotment of goods. But they aren't as good as usual this year, and we've had to dock you on them. And when Father took out the check and looked, he just put his hand to his face like that, and the tears would run right down to his face like that. Daisy took matters into her own hands and got on a train to find Merchant Barry. I went right down to Barry's market, so I said, I'd like to see Mr. Barry. I want to see him because they have said that my father's turkeys and things had spoiled. And uh, I came back, I came down, but to get the rest of our money. The men was all gathered from the market district up until 
maybe 18 or 20 of them had got around on the edge of this market where they were hanging up and watching to see what this little girl was going to do. So finally he came, and when he saw me, his face got just as red as blood, and then it got just as white and all, just like snow, and he staggered. I said, uh, you said that on this letter that my father, turkeys and the things had spoiled, and I said, Mrs. So helped to pick them, and I said, they all were packed in this nice paper that my father had got from you all, and we never had done this before, and I said, ours is the best in the market, and I said, those are our turkeys, and those are ours, and those are ours, and these are our chickens, and uh, this is ours, and this box, I said, those are the partridges. Uncle Early shot them, and I said, my brother shot these, and uh, all of this. And I begin telling what our stuff was and hanging it. And I said, my sister told me not to come back to show my face without all of the money of my daddy's money in full, so we could have our coats and the rubber boots and shoes that we've got to have for school. And uh, they all begin... They all looked like they were kind of sick. Then the next thing we knew, I never remembered, Mr. Barry stopped like that with his hands up at his face, and they led him out from where I was sitting in back in there. Well, I'd heard two or three of them laughing. <laughs> and I couldn't see what the fun could be, but at any rate, they hadn't been gone out too long. The next thing I know, they came in with bags of candy sticking out of the top of the bags and cookies and things. They had great bags of oranges and a, a box, a basket of fruit for my mother and all. And in another, a bottle of elix, of, of whiskey. And then they put those envelopes in my pocketbook. And by that time, it had got to be around eight or nine o'clock. And so the men said, we'd better get her right back down to the station. So when the train came in at Bellows Falls, there was Violet and the girl again. So they said, uh, did you get our father's money? And I says, I guess so. I don't know. But here's the bag and everything was in it. So we had a time right there in Bella's Fault. Gert Lapine was born in Hampstead, Quebec in 1927. Her parents sold their farm and came to Vermont in 1930. They settled in Walcott, but soon after, their father came down with double pneumonia, and the doctor left him for dead. He miraculously survived the illness, but he lost the farm and had to move in with his brother for a year and a half to recover his health and finances. In 1943, he bought a 140-acre farm on the Mud City Loop in Morristown. Gert's father and brother ran the farm. Her sister Jeanette was flying with Pan Am as a flight attendant and another sister, Therese, joined the Navy and then worked for Senator George Aiken. Gert became a teacher, but along with her sisters, she was always drawn back to that farm. In 1952, Gert made a life-changing decision. As a, you know, as a high school kid, I, I had a lot of admiration for a lot of my teachers, and I guess probably every kid does. And, you know, I said, gee, you know, maybe that, that's not such a bad thing, you know, at least, you know, you get respect. And so I, I wasn't a bad student, so I, I signed up at Johnson State, which was 
It was a normal school then, strictly a strictly for for elementary education, and it was very, very, very cheap, very affordable. And I'd come home every weekend and farm, and my vacations were here, and it was just the perfect life for me. So I got my degree, and uh, I signed up for a little school up in Bakersfield, rural. I wanted a one-room schoolhouse. I was up there one year. I decided to go back a second year. They always advise us to at least spend two years in one school. So I went back for my second year. And then uh, my third year, well, I decided two years was enough up there. So there was an opening at Stowe. So I said, I'll go there, stay home, help Dad and Lawrence with chores night and morning, and then still do my schooling. And then, uh, so that's the way it was going. You know, I, I was still keeping in touch with the, with the farming, and that weekend, I'd worked in the sugar bush. We had tapped up, and things were beautiful. It was just a beautiful spring. It was in April, and uh, I was sitting there at, at, in the schoolroom, and I was having a class, and all of a sudden, I looked up and out the window, and it was just so beautiful. And I just felt like breaking out in song, you know how some that, and you know when your school teachers sort of have, at least in those days, you know, they were watching you pretty close. I couldn't swear, and I couldn't, <laughs> when I felt like swearing, I, I wasn't supposed to swear, and when I was, felt like singing, I really couldn't sing when I was having class. So, uh, God, I said to myself, I, I said, what am I doing here? I said, I could be, you know, out there working in the sugar bush today. And I don't know, just those four walls, it had been creeping up on me all winter. So anyway, that night, I, I, I made up my mind right there. I said, this is it. So I came home and I said, I asked Dad if he was, had a place for me to farm. And he said, sure. So I called up the superintendent. And he said, what do you mean you're quitting? So you've only got another month to go. I said, I know, but I, no, I said, absolutely not. I said, this is it. I said, something happened today in the schoolroom, and I said, I've made up my mind, I've got to get out. And he said, uh, he said, that's going to be the end of your teaching career. He said, you'll never have a chance for another contract. He said, I'll see to that. And I said, that's okay. I said, I want a farm. He said, he said what do you mean you want to go home to the farm? He said, what are you going to do, do the bookkeeping? And I said, no, I don't like bookkeeping. <laughs> I said, you look me up in 20 years and you'll see what I've done. So uh, he said, okay. I said, but you've got to stay there until I find somebody to replace you. I said, okay, I'll give it another couple of days. So that's the way it went. I came home and I've been here ever since. Gert eventually purchased the farm. Jeanette and Therese came home in the 60s to help out, and over the years, the three sisters added land and built up a prize herd of Jersey cows. In 1994, Gert sold the development rights to the Vermont Land Trust, and in 96, the three sisters retired from farming and sold the herd. Therese passed in 2010, Jeanette in 2017. Gert still lives on the farm in Morristown. Let's hope that superintendent did look her up, though Gert never looked back after her decision. The thing that I that I think impresses me the most about farming is that you are so committed, but yet I got this feeling of complete freedom. 
you know, it, but you're so committed, you're so tied down, you know, even though you wanted to go something, I mean, you, you've got those chores night and morning and 365 days a, a year. But still, you, I don't know. I guess when you're doing what you want, it's especially when you get up on a get out on a tractor on a beautiful, beautiful summer or spring day when the things are just so great. Because we've got a beautiful farm to work here, you know. We've got mountain views all around us. But you've got that that, and you asked Jeanette the same thing. She's got that same feeling of that feeling of freedom, almost as though you could fly. <laughs> it's just a wonderful feeling. And that's, you know, I knew when I quit that that was, I had done the right thing. For, my, for me, it was my, uh, I never regretted it. A lot has been written about these three farmer sisters. We have interviews with all of them in our archive. You'll want to check out the show notes for some wonderful photos and further references, not only from Gert, but Daisy and Nellie as well. Show notes are at www.vtfolklife.org untapped. You can also find us at Vermont Folklife on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. This show is still new, and we need your help to spread the word. Tell a friend to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes. It really does the trick. That's all for today. Thanks for celebrating Women's History Month with us. And may you also celebrate women's history all year long. Episodes of Vermont Untapped are released monthly, so we'll see you in April. The show is produced by Erica Ferduelli and me, Mary Wesley. Thanks for listening. <laughs>